I think in the end it's a lot about personal chemistry as well because um, whoever you choose as your investor, you'll most likely work together with them very, very closely for, for many years. So I think that personal relationship is um, ultimately maybe, maybe the most important factor. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Everybody, thanks for joining us and uh, welcome to the SaaS, Revolu SaaS Revolution show, Christoph Jans. Great to have you on the, uh, the podcast for the first time. And actually, we're doing it live uh, at SaaS.2022. So uh, a double whammy, great to have you with us. Thanks so much, Alex, for having me. It's, it's great to be back at SaaS Talk, finally, after three years of Corona break. Yeah, exactly, three, three years, it's, uh, it, it's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. I don't know, I'm not sure if time has flown, I don't think it, it probably has, but uh, 2019 also doesn't seem, you know, it doesn't seem that far away that you, you know, we, we were here uh, at the RDS in Dublin. So Christoph, um, you know, for those that are here live, and also the audience that'll, that'll listen uh, and subscribe to the podcast, Tell us a little bit about, like, who are you as a person? Who is Christoph Jans? Um, oh, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Christoph, Christoph Jans. I'm one of the founding partners at, at Point9. Point9 is an early stage venture capital firm focused on SaaS for the last 10 years or actually a bit more. I've been an angel investor for a couple of years before uh, starting Point9. So I've been investing in B2B SaaS since 2008. I started two consumer internet companies in the 15 or so years before that and some software slash hardware, software development and distribution businesses or tiny business, tiny companies uh, before that, like in like the last century when really there was no um, internet uh, yet. And since you asked who I am as a person, um, what else should I say? I have three, three boys. They keep me busy when I'm not um, thinking about thinking about SaaS. Very cool, very cool. Uh, how often are you not thinking about SaaS? Are you thinking about it all the time? Um, I, I think I probably got better yeah. at not thinking about business all the time, um, which is not something I was good at while I was um, uh, running my, my startup, where it's pretty much a 24 by 7 job. At least it, it's hard to really get it out of your mind. I, I think I got better at it over the, year, over the years um, as I became a, a father and you think about like that what, what matters in life. I mean, I'm still, I probably think about uh, SaaS related questions when I'm under the, the shower and then sometimes produces good ideas. But I think I've learned a bit more um, over the years how to not think about business all the time, but also have like good time with kids and family. And you've been to all the SaaS docs. Um, you know, do you have a favorite? And if so, um, what was it and why? Yeah. It's a really difficult question. I don't know if I could pick a favorite. I would say maybe the very first one because SaaS doc was really the first major conference bringing SaaS fans, investors, founders together in Europe. So I think that was a very special button, but I really enjoyed each and every one because each one was kind of bigger and maybe even better than the previous one. I think this one today is also 
very special because it's the first one after three years yeah. of having no SaaS stock. So I'm really glad to be back in, in, in Dublin. And as much as I enjoyed participating in some of the virtual conferences that you um, did or that you yeah. set up during the Corona pandemic, it's just very different to be back in, in Dublin and, and meet people in person. Yeah, I think definitely, like, I mean, also like for me, I mean, the first SaaS stock, of course, you, you, you know, has a special place in, the, in my heart. It was a great event for, for many reasons. Uh, and then I think like this one, what we're seeing, and certainly in social media, but speaking to everybody that's here, uh, is there's, all, I feel like we've, we've got a, a special year with the triple whammy effect of being, you know, back in Dublin for the first time for many yeah. people, back in person and back at SaaS stock. And, that's really just kind of magnifying everybody's like positivity towards the conference. So, yeah. so that, that's really yeah. great. Yeah. It's nine Capital. Um, I, like, you, you know, I, I know who you guys are, but for those listening, like what, what is nine Capital? What does it do? Who do you invest in? What sort of SaaS companies? Yeah, sure. So we're focused on early stage, um, which um, we think about as really the entire seed phase. Um, anything from what you might want to call pre-seed or seed to, to late seed or maybe early series A or, or pre-series A. So um, that entire phase before a company is ready to, uh, to go out for a, for a series A. Um, we typically invest between, let's say, one and a half and two and a half or three million. It's, it's, grow it's grown over the years. Like when we started out about 10 years ago, everything has been uh, much smaller, especially yeah. in, in Europe, which is our home market. Um, so we've sort of matured with that market, but we're still very much focused on the seed phase. We are a very concentrated, high conviction investor. We don't invest in a huge number of companies. We invest in about 10 to 12 companies across uh, an investment team of six people and including four partners. So we don't have a uh, what some people call like a spray and pray approach. Like we, we take every investment very, 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 very serious and, and work very closely with each and every single company and, and try whatever we can to uh, increase the, uh, the chances of, of, of success. Um, we also invest in B2B marketplaces. Some of, the, some of my colleagues have a lot of experience with B2B marketplaces. We're also looking at some crypto related investments, developer tools, um, APIs, companies using AI, but I think what's the, um, the common pattern across all of them is that it's B2B and that it's early. Uh, you invested in Zendesk uh, like very early. Is that still your, your best investment or certainly one that you're really well known for? Uh, is, there, is there another Zendesk in the yeah. portfolio? That um, I, I think with regards to, for, for, for Zendesk, you probably have um, the highest amount of clarity that yeah. it because it's a public company yeah. I and mean, it's about to be taken private but yeah. it, it used to be a public company so you can look up the the value whereas the somewhat earlier stage companies that are not publicly listed yet um, you have like less maybe less clarity or less transparency if you as in somebody asking that question wants to know like what's what's the value of this company but we're pretty confident that there are some companies in our portfolio that are on a similar track and will eventually be as big as, or maybe even bigger than Zendesk, like companies like Chainalysis or Contentful, Algolia, Loom Typeform. Yep. So there are a number of companies that I, I think follow a similar trajectory. 
And, and, and also, um, a lot of VCs that we speak to, and even like over dinner that's last night, they focus in a specific kind of geo area, like Latin America or the Baltics or whatever. Yeah. But you you invest globally, like why is that? And you know, is that challenging? Any regrets in, in yeah. being a global VC? Yeah. So that's really part of that's been part of our, um, I don't know, maybe uh, DNA or just the way we think about things. Really from day one, um, we when Pavel and I teamed up, we were in different places. So we've started as a as a remote VC, and some of the first investments that we did were in places like Denmark or Scotland or even even New Zealand and, and Canada and, and the US. Um, so we we always thought that. Um, it's more important to focus on certain types of companies like certain business models or technologies because these companies have more affinity with each other than companies that are close to each other geographically. Um, if we had uh, told ourselves to focus only on German companies, we would have invested in probably a lot of e-commerce, consumer, B2B and other things, but I think then we wouldn't have developed that much deep expertise in, in SaaS, so I, I think it served us well to be very focused on B2B and the seed stage, but very very open in terms of uh, the where, where, where those companies start. What, what are a couple of lessons that you can share as a, as a businessman, you know, uh, P9 is, is your, Point 0.9 Capital is your business. What, what can you share in terms of learning, growing that business, you know, with your audience? Some, some yeah. lessons that we transferable yeah. to both founders and investors. Yeah. I, I mean, venture capital is a very particular business. So I, I think um, maybe the learnings for us as a VC are not that relevant for a startup, yep. mainly because as a startup, you most likely want to grow as fast as you humanly can because it's a, you try to get to industrialize something and, and scale and then ultimately be a market leader and benefit from the economies of scale and the winner takes all effects that you have as a technology company. I think venture capital is not like that. It's sort of famously unscalable, although there are some players like Andreessen Horowitz and, and, and maybe Sequoia or Inside Ventures who probably managed to make it somewhat scalable. But um, the way we look at it, we, we don't think it's really scalable because it's so much a, a people business. So we're, we don't have the intention to raise more and more bigger and bigger funds, have more and more people, because then that would mean that we basically would no longer do the real job, which is to find companies and, and work with them, because then we would spend most of our time managing point nine. And so we're trying to spend as little time as possible managing point nine or ourselves or, or, each, or each other, and which is why we have an equal partnership, which is like four out of the six people in the investment team, uh, because that has kind of like the, that brings with it a lot of benefits, including um, like the least amount of, of, of managing. And so all of this is probably not that relevant for, uh, for, for, SaaS, yeah. for SaaS founders. Well, um, let's talk about raising seed capital then. Uh, and so what would it take for somebody that's raising seed to, to get an investment from point nine, what it, yeah. what is it that you're looking for, and are kind of you know the prerequisites, the must-haves? Yeah. So, like like most investors, we are looking for companies that can become very very big, and then, again, that's part of this very 
special business model that you have as a VC, which may not be the right choice or may not be compatible with plans, with the plans of, of many companies. So I think that's just something as a founder you have to be really aware of that if you go down that path of raising venture capital, you should only do it if you are convinced that you really want to build a company that's going to be worth a couple of billion dollars. Yeah. Otherwise, it's probably not the right path for you. So we are looking for companies and founders that have that ambition. And obviously, when we talk to them at the seed stage, like that billion dollar ambition is might, might be more of a dream. It's probably a decade at least away, but at least we want to see that that commission, that commitment, sorry, and that um, um, and that ambition, and um, in addition to that, we're uh, trying to find founders that we think have a very special, maybe almost unique insight into a certain problem, as well as the ability to solve that problem. Because most markets have become very, very competitive. So unless there is some, like some special uh, circumstance or expertise that led to a, the creation of that company, you usually have a lot of competition very quickly. So we're uh, always trying to find that, that insight. We're um, increasingly also asking ourselves the famous why now question, because SaaS has been around for, depending on when you count, like let's say 15 years. Yeah. So uh, a lot of things have been done already. So when we see a, kind of like a new version of something, we ask ourselves what is really um, the, the thing that is 10x better than than the previous uh, than the previous generation, um, and then we usually look for small signs of validation. Like we have also invested at a at a pre-seed stage when there was very little, if anything, in terms of validation. But at the seed stage, we look for like some validation, which might come from some users, um, maybe some some customers or some pilots. So we're looking for these little science that tell us that there is actually a market and that there is a that there is a problem experienced by customers and it, and this looks like a good solution to that problem uh, and what's the best way for a founder to to i guess get in front of you you know get your attention uh, but also i guess like beyond point nine in general like investors yeah, like yeah. at the seeds yeah. sure. so we try to look at everything that comes our way whether that's um an introduction from somebody in our network that we know, or if it's just an, um, a cold email sent to me or one of my partners, or if somebody uh, submits the type form on our website. So we, we try to look at all of this. Obviously, it's a lot, and yeah. in many cases, maybe most cases, we have to decide very quickly and unfortunately quite superficially if we want to spend more time with this company. So my recommendation would be just to try to be really concise and tell us in a couple of sentences and maybe in a nice short deck like why this makes sense and, and why we should look at this. I think then there is a good chance that it will catch our attention even if it comes as a what we call like um, cold inbound uh, uh, inquiry. Um, but of course we also get a lot of introductions to founders and angel investors. Um, so there is not one particular path. Is, is there a wrong way to do it? Um, I think the wrong way at the seed stage is to hire an investment banker. Right. Um, nothing against investment bankers as human beings, yeah. but at the seed stage, it's just a bad signal. Yeah. Um, and like, 
just because my I guess my pattern matching has been trained by having seen so many pitches that come in from an investment banker that are yeah. completely irrelevant, like Series B companies, Series C or sectors that we're not interested in. Yeah. And I, so I think it's very rare that we um, that we would see a great company coming to us. Um, coming by an investment banker. I, it's also not needed at this stage, I think. Yeah. And what should a founder be looking for in an investor? Um, I mean, I don't know if there's just one generally true answer because yep. different people might have different preferences and look for different things. If, if I was a founder at the seed stage, I would look for a really committed partner. So I would do a lot of uh, due diligence on the investor as well. and, and find out if this investment is done out of conviction or if it's just a little like a little optionality chip and I would want to make sure that they really understand the, the space um, and have some expertise in that, that will be helpful whether that is in team building or go to market so I, I think in the end it's a lot about personal chemistry as well because um, whoever you choose as your investor, you'll most likely work together with them very, very closely for, for many years. So I think that personal relationship is um, ultimately maybe, maybe the most important factor. Um, once you've successfully raised seed capital from point nine, mm. what are the things that you need to do to kind of kick on to Series A? Yeah. So we, after we do a, after we've in, in invested in a company like after the closing or sometimes even before that we usually sit together with the founders and create like sort of a master plan it's maybe I don't know if it's the right term but it's like what we call like the master plan to series A because series A is usually the next milestone maybe not because it's a the ultimate goal in and of itself but it's usually a, a goal on on that way like an important milestone and so we um, try to come up together with a plan of like where do we as a company want to be in let's say 18 months or 24 months and kind of then work backwards from there and that usually leads to um, a lot of actionable outcomes in terms of the team that you um, want to build and maybe like the, the product that you want to launch and sales and marketing initiatives to, to try out and if they work to scale. Um, I think in at the from this from seed to A, it's really about building the right foundation in terms of a product that has strong product market fit because by the time you want to raise a series A, you probably need pretty strong signs of product market fit and some early signs of a repeatable sales process. Not the type of proven scalability that you would require at the series B stage, but series A investors typically want to see some level of repeatability, like probably you've already gone beyond just the founder selling, probably made it work with one or two, maybe more AEs. And, and so that's what we're trying to um, help founders um, understand and, 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 and do. And because we've seen so many seed companies go through this series A, I think we have a pretty good understanding of, of how that journey looks like. Cool. Moving into the, the, the quick-ish fire round. Uh, some questions for you, Christoph. So, what one thing do you advise your SaaS companies to do that will move the needle the most? If they, I'm sure you advise many things, but is there one thing that they really yeah. need to do? 
it depends on the state and obviously on the situation. But if I try to really nail it down to just one thing at the, let's say, at the seed stage, at the Series A stage, it's a bit different. At the seed stage, I think it's really finding your ideal customer profile, your ICP, and not being worried about that being too small. So I think in most cases, it makes sense to narrow down yep. and then maybe narrow down again and then do it again. And even if that means your initial segment is very small, it doesn't really matter because you can expand it later. So I think the one of the most frequent mistakes SaaS founders do is try to serve too many customers yep. at the same time, which leads to um, basically everything that you do in terms of product and product marketing, marketing and sales being diluted or being spread around too thin. So I think really nailing that customer segment and saying no to whoever is not in that customer segment, I think it's really important. And then also trying to get as many leads as possible that meet those criteria because only then you can afford to be so picky. So really nailing down on that ICP, I would say is what matters the most at the seed stage. And then um, if you maybe ask for like the Number two, or I think what becomes number one after the Series A is hiring and building the management team. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, as a, for me in my current investor hat, I, I would say it's probably from one of our LPs, uh, a very like uh, like very experienced, very successful LP that has invested in much much older, much more successful VCs than Point9 uh, is uh, already like uh, when we met them for the first time 10 years ago. And I think they kind of um, told us or encouraged us to not be afraid of, of the risk because all their data shows that in the end, um, the returns are so power law driven. It's kind of easy to look at the math, but it's hard to really, uh, to really understand the impact of that. So I think what we, learned from from them is that there are there are no safe bets like even if you think this is a relatively safe bet with a maybe 5x upside usually it means you have less upside but you still have all the risk um, so I think that taught us to really be very much focused on finding companies that have these huge outlier potential what's the biggest failure uh, you've made or experienced and yeah. a lesson learned yeah so probably hard to pick one. There are lots of failures. I, as I, we have to make so many decisions that we probably make failures every single day. Um, I think the the failures maybe that stand out the most are the ones that you remember for the longest time are when you passed at a company and they became super successful. And I think every investor has some in their like typically called anti-portfolio and then and, I definitely remember that we talked to companies like Intercom, like big success yep. out of yep. out of Dublin, right? Yep. And as well as Pipedrive and talk there. So we, we missed some of the most iconic companies uh, that were started in Europe six to 12 years ago. Um, and we, we missed them for, diff for, for, for diff different reasons. Like either we didn't even somehow get it why they are special or we passed on Valuation, which is maybe a particularly stupid mistake. So there is a there is a whole whole range of possibilities how you can mess things up as an investor. And uh, the final quick fire round sort of question: What do you think is the hardest thing about being a SaaS CEO? Um, 
I, I think it's, I mean, I'm curious what answers you get when you actually ask these questions yeah. to SaaS CEOs because yeah. I've, I have never been a SaaS CEO, so I have like expert, like some experience as a, as a consumer uh, CEO, so like, I guess some of the things just managing a company are probably, probably similar. Um, but but I'm curious to uh, about the answers from people like who are actually SaaS CEOs. I, I think it's probably like the the challenge of growing with the requirements that change so drastically and so fast if you if you scale. Like I think it's one thing to be the CEO of a slow growing company that is bootstrapped and maybe grows 30% year over year. Um, that's hard enough, but it's um, even harder, much harder to be a CEO of a company that looks totally different every 12 months or every 18 months because your team size has doubled or tripled and your ARR has, has, has grown by three or five X year over year and you have different types of, of customers to look after. So I think it changes so much like the job description um, of the, the person who founds it and who, like what, what they need to be good at in the first year is so different what they need from what they need to be good at um, in year five, and that's all different from what they have to be good at in year ten. And I think uh, just the learning that and adjusting to that, um, and maybe doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. Maybe maybe if you started the company, you never wanted to be in meetings all day, but if you are the CEO of a bigger company, that's what you do. I think that's maybe some of the hardest parts. And you're at SAS.2022. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most? Um, catching up with a lot of people that I haven't seen for for a long time because um, really meeting in person wasn't possible for like almost like one and a half or two years. So it's only been like this year that we all got out again to meet people. So great to catch up with people, um, meet new people who I've never met and just learn more about uh, what's going on in, in SaaS in, in Europe uh, right now, maybe meet some interesting companies and, 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 and hopefully also um, learn from, from others in some of the presentations here. And if people want to connect with you uh, after listening to the podcast, how can they reach out to you? What's the best way? Well, if they happen to be here at the conference, just say hello, I'm, I'm around. Um, and other than that, feel free to drop me an email at christoph at .com. You'll probably also find me on um, Twitter, and, and LinkedIn, you'll also find some of my colleagues. So just say, say hello. Good stuff. Well, Christopher Gans from Point Nine Capital, thank you so much for being a great guest on the SaaS Revolution sh uh, show today. Enjoy SaaS 2022. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world. Want exclusive SAS content and actionable insights to grow your SAS? Join our community of over 36,000 SAS founders at sasdoc.com.